looking, uh, starting a new series, only a two-week series. And with this first Sunday of Advent, it's fitting that we're looking at the gift of peace. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Very familiar passage uh, to many of us. Dana and I have been working on memorizing this for discipleship, and this is one of the passages we've been working on. And just as I I, I, kind of ebb and flow on my memorization as a Christ follower, but when I do, it always, memorization leads to meditation And meditation leads to the penetration of my heart with the truth that I'm memorizing. And it ends up leading to life transformation. And I can't emphasize enough the value of memorization. And uh, so this passage, though familiar, probably to many of you, definitely it has been to me. But in memorizing it and meditating it, you get a whole new fresh impact of that verse. So we're going to look at it. And so I want us to think about today and next week, peace, the gift that God loves to give. Peace is the gift that God loves to give. So let's look at Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Uh, I do have it memorized. I practice that, but I'm not even going to attempt that because when I get up here, I always mess that up. You understand that? But it'll come out, you know. I mean, I can be thinking and talking. And that's the beauty of memorization. It's in there. And when it's in there, then it comes out during the day. It comes out naturally, and it's really kind of an exciting thing. So, so if you want to start someplace with memorization, start right here with this passage. And maybe this Advent month of leading up to Christmas, you might memorize this passage. Let's look at it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit... Be known to all men, the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the P, and finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, this is fun to memorize, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, this week, we're going to look at verses 4 through 7. And we're going to look at how to receive the gift of peace. And next week, we'll look at verses 8 and 9, and we'll see how to re-gift the giver of peace. Because if you look at this, these verses, there's a definite break between 4 through 7 and 8 through 9, because it'll say, finally, brethren... 
And yet there's a connection between these two, the, these two sections of this paragraph because if you notice, the first paragraph talks about the peace of God and the second paragraph climaxes with the God of peace. So they belong together and yet they have two you know, corresponding ideas. And today we want to look at the peace of God. The peace of God, the gift that God loves to give. Now, to get into this, though, let's ask a couple questions and give you a little context of the book of Philippians, since this is the fourth chapter of four chapters in that book. The gift of peace, who needs it? You know, who needs this lesson and who needs this gift that God loves to give? So here's what I want you to think right now, getting into this. What robs you of your peace? What robs you of your peace? Are you experiencing, and here's, uh, I think, four or five things that we're going to look at that just gives you the context of Philippians. First of all, are you experiencing rejection from the world? Okay. Uh, Ironically, no one knew about John Cho in his life, but in his death, he's getting rejection from the world. Rejection from the world. Paul and the Philippian believers knew what it was to be rejected by the world. And if you would go back and read chapter 3, in the flesh, Paul had this resume that the world would admire. He had so much that the world would admire. And yet he says in chapter 3, I counted it loss. I counted it as dung. I counted it as, you know, we would say colloquially crap. To order to gain Christ and his righteousness. And let me tell you, the world rejected him for that. The world rejected him for that. And that kind of rejection, whether it's from friends, co-workers, or even family, can rob us of our peace, especially during the holidays. It's kind of during the holidays. Our family comes together, and maybe part of your family is unsaved, and you're saved, and there's that rejection that can rob you of your peace. What about, secondly, resistance? Resistance from those rebelling against God. In chapter 1, Uh, Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 1. Don't forget, Paul's writing this, Rejoice in the Lord! Again I say, rejoice from prison! And he's not sure whether he might be executed at any moment. Now, if anything could rob you of your peace, it would be thrown in jail knowing that there's a death sentence that could be uh, executed on you at any moment. Acts 16 tells us, how much rejection and how much resistance Paul experienced just in planting the church at Philippi. Because in Acts 16, when he went and preached the gospel in Philippi, he was arrested and jailed. And yet him and Silas are in jail in Acts 16. And what are they doing? They're singing praises. They have peace. They have joy. And so chapter 1 explains that even the Philippian believers were facing this kind of resistance. Well, one thing we need to just be reminded, and maybe we don't need to be reminded because it's kind of being put in our face, is that there's growing resistance to the gospel. And it's not just to the message of the gospel. It's to the messengers of the gospel. And uh, again, I'm relating this to uh, the recent death of, of John Cho. I mean, what he's being criticized for more than anything from the world is just that he dared go to a people and share Christ. 
when they didn't want him to. Well, guess what? There's not a lot of lost people out here carrying signs saying, please share Christ with me. Okay, And so the resistance is growing, and this can rob us of our peace. Uh, third, recession. Recession. I know the economy's up and things are going good, but that's not true for everybody. Financial stress will rob you of your peace, especially at the holiday times. How do we pay for these things? Uh, it, it, it's, uh, there's job loss that's felt... It, 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 it's felt exceedingly, if you don't have a job at this time of year, it weighs heavy on you is what I'm trying to say. Uh, the loss of your home, the, the pain of bills, all this can rob you of your peace. Uh, fourth, relational conflict. Relational conflict and uh, tension. This is in Philippians chapter 2, in, or I'm sorry, uh, Philippians chapter 2 and 4. Uh, we're in chapter 4. The first three verses that precede this, this, this command to rejoice and to receive the gift of peace, uh, has two committed Christian women in the same church who are committed to Christ, and they're hard workers for the gospel, and they can't get along. Now imagine that. Few things can rob us of our peace at this time of year like relational stress. And it might be between believers and unbelievers, but it could also be between believers. And uh, especially as extended family gets together and that can heighten these things. Finally, I want you to think about all of these in terms of the results of idolatry in your heart. The results of idolatry in your heart. Why do I say that? Well, what's worry anyway? And what I've gotten for you, and you can read through these, several godly pastors say worry is the result of idolatry, worshiping counterfeit gods in our hearts. Pastor Tony Morita says this, we worry when we imagine the future in a terrible way. And John Piper put it this way, anxiety seems to be an intense desire for something accompanied by the fear of the consequences of not receiving it. If you look at this, it says, uh, anxiety shows that our hearts are so set on something that we are terrified of losing it, desperate to hold on to it for dear life. That something that we cannot bear to lose is our heart's foundation. It's our center of gravity, or you could really say it's the idol of our heart, okay? The idol that's in our hearts. I like what Keller has that last quote, if you look at that. Anything that becomes more important, more important and non-negotiable to us than God becomes an enslaving idol. In this paradigm, we can locate idols by looking... Now, listen to this. Listen. We can locate idols by looking at our most unyielding emotions. What makes us uncontrollably angry, anxious, or depressed? Idols control us since we feel we must have them or life is meaningless. So in other words, whatever that thing is that you're worrying about, 
Whatever that thing is that makes you angry if you can't have it or if you are, you're, you're threatened that you might lose it. And listen, it can be good gifts that God has given you. It could be the job that God provided you. It could be the children that God has given you. It could be the spouse that God has given you. It, it, it can be a good gift. So here's what I want to do before we move into this any further. What is robbing you of peace right now? What is robbing you of your peace right now? And if you want to get real serious about it, what idol are you counting on to bring you peace to your heart? So think about that. Write that something down. And if you're, you know, embarrassed or you don't want to do it so nobody see it, then write it, you know, in your heart right now because that's where it's going on. So peace, who needs it? I would say what? Everybody. Amen. Exactly. Now, the gift of peace, what is it? I don't want to dwell on this a lot, but again, if we're going to, I, I'm, I'm, I think it's always important to define things. And when we look at peace, we all probably have a lot of definitions of peace. We could write up here, peace, peace, peace. And typically, we think of peace as the absence of problems. We think of peace as the absence of stress. We think of peace... Uh, I think of peace seeing Michaela's pictures of the beach that she kept sending us when we were having cold weather. That was cruel and unusual punishment, and I told you that. And she said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, ah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that, you know, we think of serenity, right? We think of serenity and, and all that. But here's a biblical definition of peace. Living under the rule of God. Living under the reign of God. I don't care how you say it. It's living under the rule of God in relationship with King Jesus. Peace, you can be surrounded by stress. You can be uh, over your head in trouble. And you can still have peace if you're living your life under the rule of God. If you're ordering your life by God's priorities. Does this make sense? If you're staying in relationship with King Jesus, that's when you have peace in spite of circumstances. So peace is experiencing God's presence with us. It's experiencing God's provision for us. It's experiencing God's protection around us. It's experiencing God's power at work in and through us. It's experiencing God's priorities lived out by us. But notice, all in the Lord. It is in the Lord that God does these things. If you're looking for God to provide for you and you don't have a relationship with Jesus this morning, it's not going to happen in in the way, in the intervention, and in the miraculous way that you're looking for. Now, God provides unsaved people, numerous wonderful gifts, sunshine, life, breath, all of that. But if you're looking for God to intervene and rescue, provide, protect, impart power to you, that all comes through a relationship with King Jesus. Isn't it cool that the risen Lord, listen, when Jesus rose from the dead, the first thing and the repeated thing he said to his followers was what? Peace be unto you. Why? Because I'm reigning. I'm ruling. I'm King Jesus. And you're related to me. 
Matthew 6 is the classic passage on worry in the Bible. Matthew 6. And yet, here's the antidote to anxiety in Matthew 6. Jesus says, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things, these things you worry about, will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What do I do? Seek first God in His kingdom. Now, what's the cool thing is, at the end of this passage that we're looking at, verse 7, when, when we have that peace from God, it forms a fortress around our hearts to protect us from anything that threatens to rob us of peace. So, you've identified what is it that's robbing you of your peace? Well, guess what? When you bring your life under the control of Jesus, He sets up a protection, a fortress around your heart and protects anything that would rob you of your peace. But for that to happen, you've got to receive the gift God loves to give. And so for the rest of our lesson and for what this passage is meant to do is to tell us how to receive the gift God loves to give the gift of peace. So let's jump in. Here's what you do. You want peace? Number one, rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what. Rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the, all, in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, let's look at the stress. There's a definite stress on rejoicing. How do we know that? Because it's repeated twice. Now notice, the stress in this verse, this is a command to obey no matter what happens. This is a command to obey no matter what happens in your life. I think that's one of the reasons why Paul repeats the command twice. It's like he's saying to the Philippians, you can just hear him, you know, this letter's being read in the, in the congregation. Rejoice in the Lord! And, you know, the spouses, you know, people are mumbling, you got to be kidding me. You don't understand. Do you know what we're going through? And he says, no, really, again, I command you, rejoice, rejoice. This is a repeated command. It's repeated to put the stress on actually doing it. I am not joking. Rejoice, okay? And it's a command. So this isn't, be ha- you know, this isn't uh, that song by, what is it, Bobby Farron or something? Don't worry, yeah, don't worry, be happy. Uh, you know, this isn't just, hey, when you feel like it, get, you know, get, get happy. This is a command that puts the stress on really obeying it. Listen, no matter what happens or is happening or as yet to happen, rejoice. And in fact... He repeats this same command three times in the book. And before he does that, he first puts it in practice in his own life. So turn your Bibles to Philippians 1.18. Turn your Bibles to Philippians 1.18. And let's see, first of all, Paul does this from prison. He's in prison and fellow believers are causing trouble to make his time in prison be worse. Now, if there's anything that would irritate, frustrate, and rob me of peace, it would be if I'm giving my life to serve the Lord, I'm in jail, and other Christians are bashing me, 
right? And making things hard. And yet, here's what he says, Philippians what one eighteen. Ah, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. He kind of repeats it for himself. He's like, I'm not going to just do this once. I'm going to keep on doing this. Because if, if you've ever been there, and I've been there, if you've ever been there, when times are hard and people are turning against you, that's not just a one-time rejoice thing. It's like, okay, you know, sometimes it's every day. And sometimes it becomes every hour. And at times... It's every minute. Again, I say, rejoice. So do you get the stress. Now go to Philippians 2.18. Philippians 2.18. So he commands them. He's already commanded them two other times. So look at Philippians 2.18. It says this. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. And then turn to Philippians 3.1. Philippians 3.1. Here's the second time he commands them. First time he modeled it, Philippians 2. First time he modeled it, chapter 1. First, first time he commands it, chapter 2. Second time he commands it, chapter 3, 1. Finally, my brethren, what's it say? Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. You and I cannot remind each other enough to rejoice in the Lord, because nothing will rob you of your peace like losing your joy in the Lord. Okay? And so there's an obligation here, right here. We're now kind of under obligation to be reminding one another, rejoice in the Lord, always rejoice. Again, I'm going to remind you because it's not wearisome to me and it safeguards you. Rejoice in the Lord. Probably that, that, that is really my number one counsel in counseling anybody. The first thing to be said is this, don't let this rob you of your joy for if you have your joy you will have your peace right even if things never work out the way you want and so then the third time he commands them is here in chapter four so you see the stress now the season when is it that we are to rejoice in the lord this is a command to obey at all times rejoice in the lord when what's the verse say Always, always. Paul says always. He means obeying this command is always possible. See, when what he's trying to get across to us is we're great at reading the Bible and then saying, but you don't understand. But what about this in my life? We, we, we put asterisks in Bible verses that says not true all the time for me. And what he's trying to say is, we are to rejoice in the good times. Do you realize it's very hard? Probably the time that we, one of the times that we disobey this command the most is when things are going good. Because what are we rejoicing in? Not the Lord. What do we tend to rejoice in? What, what's going good? You know, I rejoice in my children. When they're obeying, right? I rejoice in my job when I get a promotion. And we should be rejoicing in who when those good things happen. We should be rejoicing in Him. 
We are to rejoice in the Lord in the bad times. It's hard to do this when everything goes bad, isn't it? And yet we're to rejoice in the good times. Easy to forget to do it. Bad times, hard to do this. But we are to rejoice in the Lord in the ugly times. You say, what are the ugly times? The ugly times is when you can barely get out of bed. The ugly times is when you can't function during the day because of all the negativity and all the the discouragement that is weighing on you. And the only thing you can do when life really gets ugly is rejoice in the Lord. Isn't that good news? Now, I know some of you have been there. I've been there. And as a Christian, I always think, what would I be doing if I wasn't saved during this? Because unsaved people have the same, saved people have the same problems as unsaved people, but we have the Lord. And so rejoice in Him. Paul did it in prison, facing the possibility of death. And my missionary friends... who are missionaries in Brazil, did it this week. This week, I've had these friends since seminary days, so that's been a couple decades or more. And uh, this week, I got an email to pray for their two-year-old granddaughter this week, uh, Hadassah. I assume I'm pronouncing that wrongly because I've only read it. I've never heard it. They adopted as missionaries, they have a large family to begin with, and then they adopted a Brazilian daughter. And so they adopted their Brazilian daughter, and she grew up, and she married a Christian Brazilian man. And they proceeded to have a daughter, and that daughter was born with severe heart defects. And consequently, what happened within months of this beautiful little girl being born with these heart defects the daddy decided he couldn't handle it and he abandoned his daughter and his wife. And so my dear friends, for the last two years, have had to rally around their daughter and their two years to try to get these heart defects. And if you understand that, and I don't, uh, it takes, you got to build up the strength and then you, you long for the day for that critical surgery. And so this week was the critical surgery after two years of agonizing. And they sent out that prayer request and, you know, I prayed. And really it was interesting because I prayed and I did have peace. And it was almost the peace that said, you know, Chris, God, you know, I prayed for whatever reason uh, as though she would not make it because that's just what was impressed on me. And sadly, uh, the next day, this just this week, I get an email with this subject header, Hadassah with Jesus. So, so hard to write this subject line even as it brings us comfort. Hadassah never made it to surgery. She didn't even make it to the surgery. She had three heart attacks while in still in ICU, and they couldn't bring her back from the last, even though they worked on her for an hour. We are devastated, but resting in the only hope that matters. Our faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
For two years, our lives have been totally focused on Hadassah and her care. The hole in our hearts can only be filled by our sovereign Lord and in His time. Because we live in a tropical country, the celebration service for Hadassah, difficult but so joyful life, will be today at 12 p.m. in Portuguese. Our church will try to transmit the service on its YouTube channel. We are so grateful to all of you who have stood with us during these long but wonderful months in which we learned so much from Hadassah. She truly blessed people in the whole world, and our prayer is that the song that she loves so much to sing with us will now be true for eternity. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And I tell you, I, I didn't look immediately, and I didn't, I didn't watch it live, but I did look uh, yesterday at the funeral, and there they are, and their family's just lying there, and there's this coffin that's no bigger than this, white coffin. And yet they're singing praise songs, and there's joy. Why? Because we can rejoice in the Lord in all seasons, amen? We can do it. And what's the source of it? That's the key. What's the source? We rejoice... But we rejoice in three words, in the Lord. This is a command only believers can obey and enjoy in the Lord. So the idea is not just that we rejoice that we have Jesus, okay? That's not, it's not just that we have Jesus, but it's that we are in relationship with Jesus in such a way that He enables us to rejoice when humanly there's no reason to rejoice. Are you with me? It's because we are in Him and we live our life with Him and by Him. That's the idea. He is the source of our joy. So you say, but how do we do this? So let me encourage you. Let me give you three practical things. First of all, how do you do this? Refocus on your relationship with the Lord. How is it that I can rejoice? How is it that my missionary friends rejoice? It's because they refocus on their relationship. Listen, if you're lacking peace and joy today, I can get, if you're a believer, if you're a believer today and you're lacking peace and joy, I can guarantee you, you have been focusing on your relationship with the Lord. So let me give you three things to do. First of all, how do I do that, Chris? Count your blessings in the Lord. Count your blessings in the Lord. Sounds trite until you try it. And then it becomes a reality. Pastor Bruce has been working uh, for the last two weeks, last week, and then this week, Psalm 103. That's where I always go. And that's what I share with other people. Uh, this week, uh, Dewana's mom, uh, uh, Minnie Tyler, died. Dear lady, she's been at part hospice at home for, for over a year, I believe. But I would go, and any time, if, if I visit you in the hospital, I guarantee you I'm going to read you Psalm 103. And if I do, you say, hey, you forgot to, and then I'll do it, okay? Why? Because it counts our, it says, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his, its benefits. And so visiting Minnie on and off different times, I went to her one time and I said, you know, Minnie, I don't have my, I have my Bible on me. I don't want to read off my phone. Let me use your Bible. And so I turned to Psalm 103 and then I see, and if you know Minnie, she writes in microscopic perfect print. And I see, 
Pastor Chris read this and then there's the date there. I said, well, it's still true. I'm going to read it to you again. And that's what it does. Count your blessings in the Lord. Number two, reflect on the great goodness of the Lord. At the end of December, the last Sunday in December, I'm going to preach Psalm 100 and it teaches you how to do this. Reflect on the greatness and the goodness of God, His attributes and His mighty acts. Three, feed on the Word from the Lord. Feed on the Word. If you're going to refocus your relationship on Christ, you've got to get in the Bible. This is a great time of year. To renew a commitment to be reading through the Bible, whether you read through the whole Bible or the New Testament or the Psalms or just the Proverbs, I don't care. But Psalm 119, once I really studied Psalm 119 in detail, I realized it's a psalm of a person who is suffering. It's a psalm of someone in suffering and they're finding their joy in the word of God. And if you really want to take it up a notch, memorize. Memorize on the Word of God when you are in difficult times. So, now, that's the first. Rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what. Paul's next instruction moves us from the source of joy to the source of our stress, which is often other people. Can I hear an amen on that? Well, yeah, that's probably the most energetic you'll be. All right, here it is. Number two, relate to others with the gentleness of the Lord. Relate to others with the gentleness of the Lord. So he moves from four to five. Look at verse five in your Bibles. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Some of your Bibles gentle spirit, some have graciousness, some have reasonableness. Reasonableness sounds a little cold. Graciousness, we kind of, you know, oh, thank you. Let me open the door for you. That's not the idea. I like gentle spirit. And so what's the meaning? Here's what it means. Relating to others with a gracious restraint and a gentle response especially when wronged. Basically, it's the opposite of what you do when people cut in front of you when you're driving. Basically, you know, Katie, it's the opposite of when customers are, you know, it's the opposite reaction when customers irritate the tar out of you, right? So it, it's, it, 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 what it is, is saying, you know what? I'm going to control my response and I'm Respond graciously, even though you deserve a whack on the head. Okay? I'm going to speak kindly to you, even though you deserve a cutting remark in light of your stupidity. Okay? That's the idea. It's having... It's it, the idea, it's the spirit of willingness to yield under trial, which will show itself in a refusal to retaliate when attacked. So it's having a long suffering instead of a short fuse. It's being gracious when you want to grumble or cuss or curse. It's not giving an irritable response. My wife, she'll say, what is wrong with you? Can't you just do that a little 
kinder? I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, so there you get the idea. That's the meaning. Secondly, the manifestation. Let it, let all people see it in you at all times. Let it be known to all people. So now this takes us outside of the context of Christians into the context of daily living with all people, even unbelievers. Now, here's what I want you to think about. Get with me, because this is probably the biggest struggle. This is not something you say you are. It's something you show you are by how you relate to people throughout the day. So this isn't something you go around telling people, hey, I have a gentle spirit. This is something that you show to people by how you relate to them, okay? It's not something you just show to nice people who deserve it. You show it to all people, especially the irritating ones, the hard-to-love ones, the EGR people. You know who EGR people are, don't you? Extra grace required people, okay? This is even to be shown to people who have it out for you, who hate you. No matter how much you try to love them and be kind to you, they dump on you. That's the idea. This is not something you show, but it's something they actually see in you by how you respond. So, so notice this is a command, but it's in the passive tense. Let, it, let your gentle spirit be known. So it's something that they see and you make sure they can see it by how you relate to them. So a couple observations about this, out manifesting this. First of all, it's hardest at home. We're often the most impolite to the people that we live with and love the most. That's the irony, is it not? So in marriage, you know, uh, Pastor Bruce just taught down here, Live with your wife in an understanding way. That's the idea there. It's not just for men, ladies. Ladies, you got to understand your spouse. It's for parents. Uh, Ephesians 6 says, Fathers, don't provoke your children. See, how do I not do those things? How do I... I got to let my gentle spirit be known. Um, This is really hard when you are on the phone with service people going through automated lines. That's where I struggle. I have to remind myself, okay, be gentle. Nowadays, it's nearly impossible to do on social media. And even our leaders are failing to model this anymore. But you know what? That's okay because they're not accountable. They're not the, the point is we as Christians are to be doing this. Okay. So don't worry about what other people are or are not doing. That's the point. They can pretty much do anything and we're still going to respond how? We're going to relate to them with the gentleness of Christ. And what's the motive? The Lord's return coming. The motive is the Lord. He says, let your gentle spirit be known to all people. The Lord is near. Now, what's the idea? There's several ways that can be interpreted. I think the basic idea is this. The Lord is coming. And so when He comes, He'll take care of the irritating person in your life. The Lord is coming. And those who are unjustly attacking you, He will take care of them. Oh, okay. So I can just respond. 
See, it's not up to me to put them in their place. He's coming to do that. Amen? Isn't that good? And it's also the idea, he's going to reward me for my gentleness. So he's coming. And I don't want him, and, and, and guess what? He'll even rebuke, he'll come and rebuke us for our ungentle spirit. So the point is, the Lord's coming. He's going to deal with them, the unbeliever. He's going to deal with me, the believer. And I just better just be gentle to everybody and let him take care of it. Okay, do you get the idea? Yes, but how do you do this? Release your rights to the Lord. Release your rights to the Lord. I love Matthew eleven twenty nine. another passage uh, Dane and I are working on. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest, peace for your souls. So here's the idea. Release to the Lord your right to strike back. Release to the Lord your need to be right. That's a big one. Sometimes we're the least gentle when we're the most right. And that can be a temptation for Christians. Because after all, we have absolute truth and you don't. Let me share it with you. Okay? Release to the Lord your need to defend yourself. Release to the Lord your need to put others in their place. Release to the Lord your need to answer back. Release to the Lord... Your need to speak up. We don't always have to speak up. Now, this doesn't mean be a doormat. It doesn't mean not never set boundaries in your relationship. It just means don't be demanding because you're serving Him. It means don't be controlling because He's in control. It means don't panic because He's coming to make it right. Isn't that good? Don't you just feel a release in you right now? Release. What is robbing you of that peace? Release your right to try to fix it and correct it. Release it. And then that brings us to the last one. And that is number three. Replace worrying with praying to the Lord. Replace worrying with praying to the Lord. Look at verse six. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Notice the emphasis on replacing. What are the two key words at the front of that verse? Anything and everything. And so what do we do? We replace worrying about anything with praying about what? Everything. Isn't that good? That's just good stuff. So here's what this means. Replace with a worshiping heart. Replace a worrying heart with a worshiping heart. The word for prayer there, it doesn't just mean recite some things and then, you know, forget about them. Prayer means coming to God, not with a grocery list of demands. And it mean, it doesn't mean a whining session. You know, you don't say, okay, I'm going to stop worrying because I'm just going to sit before the Lord and worry in front of Him. And He'll be impressed. No, it's not a whining session before the Lord. It's, 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 it's an adoration. It's a worship time where you say, okay, Lord, I've got all these problems, but I've got you. And so I just want to pray and surrender myself to you. Request with a yielded heart. So replace a worshiping heart. Request with a yielded heart. There's four words here for prayer. 
And all four of them have the idea of yielding your heart to Him. So praying means approaching God with a heart of adoration. You're God, I'm not. You're large and in charge. And guess what? I'm small and I, I'm not in charge. That's what prayer is. Supplicating, bringing your present needs. It's the idea that when you are in need, you know who to go to and when to do it. You go to Him and you do it immediately. Are you with me? I've got a need, so I don't panic on Facebook. I don't whine on Facebook. I go immediately to a better source. I go to God. Amen? I go to God. Thanksgiving. And no matter what, I give, I leave the answer to my prayer and I release my problems to Him and I just praise that I've got Him. Okay, Psalm 100, come December 30th, I think that's when it is. Requesting, urgently asking for help in times of needs. I think the, fun, the, the, the problem that most of us have is we just, prayer is our last resort instead of our first resort. Have you made your request known unto Him? And guess what? I can't start requesting without Him changing my heart, humbling me, convicting me, and suddenly I'm not praying about my problem anymore. I'm praising and I'm praying about myself and how I need to grow. And so rest then with a peaceful heart. So are you a worry wart this morning? Replace, request, and then rest. You say, how do I do that? Rest in the glorious rain and rely on the gracious resources of the Lord. Rest in Him and rely on Him. That's the key. That's the key. And what's the result? We will receive the gift that God loves to give, His peace. I love verse 7. So you got these three commands, rejoice, relate, and replace. And then you got this promise, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here's three things. You'll receive the peace only God can give. You'll, you will receive the peace that only God can give. It's the peace that belongs and comes from God. Secondly, you'll experience the peace that surpasses human comprehension and capability. I'm telling you, I'm watching this video. I'm seeing this three-foot white casket, and I'm seeing my friend's family with the video right on them. Are they weeping? Yeah, but they are rejoicing. And I'm saying this is beyond human comprehension. This is beyond human capability. This is genuine. This is coming from hearts that have been transformed by the peace of God. Amen. Isn't that good? And then finally, you'll be protected from anything and everything that tries to steal your peace away. The word for guard there is a fortress. The peace of God, the peace it, from God is given to you and it forms this fortress around your heart and nothing that wants to rob you of your joy and your peace can enter in. Is that not cool? So what did you write is robbing your peace? Instead of worrying about it, rejoice, re, uh, relate and replace and then let God's peace guard your heart. Is that not good news? Now let's do it, okay? Let's, let's pray. Father, we come, and uh, I know there's hearts that are troubled. It's just, we live, in a, we live east of Eden. We live in a fallen world. 
And even as believers, we still have sin nature. So there's troubled hearts today. And there's peace thieves that are trying to rob our peace and our joy. And I just pray these three simple commands, these three simple verses, this holiday, this Advent scene, this first Sunday of Advent, we would seek to apply these in our hearts. Rejoicing in the Lord always, no matter what. Relating to others with the gentleness that comes from our Lord and Savior. And replacing worrying with praying to the Lord. And Father, may your peace guard the hearts of each person here. And may your peace even guard our collective hearts. So that we are a people of joy and peace that passes human explanation and is beyond our ability because it comes from you and your Son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the gift you love to give. Thank you for the peace of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.